Would you turn with me to the second letter of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. I remind you this is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to read, to understand, and internally to mark the Word of God. We pray that you would not let us listen to the Word this morning and not be changed. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would enable the Word of God and our hearts to soak it, to absorb the Word, to be changed, therefore, because we have heard the very oracles of God, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, dietary supplements are an interesting subject, and we're all taking something, and if not, we probably should. I don't know about you, but I take niacin for my blood pressure. It keeps it nice and low. Uh, When I went to the doctor, they said, well, you're you're going to have to take a statin, and I said, well, let me... Let me think about that. I'm not rather, I'm not very fond of statins or what they suggest or how they may impact uh, my body. So I took, uh, I did a little research. I took some niacin and sure enough, it lowered it by about 30, 30 to 50 points. And I was, I was thankful. So now I take niacin every day and I remember its benefits. Maybe some of us take fish oil for our eyes or maybe we take something else, uh, maybe iron. Uh, because of iron deficiencies or various other things that make up for changes in our body as we get older, as we absorb things differently, or as we our body sheds things differently, and we're changing. Some of us take all sorts of things. Uh, but the truth of the matter is maybe all we really take is a daily Geritol but, or, or some uh, equivalent, uh, a, a, a multivitamin as we get older, just to help us keep us, uh, to keep us, you know, sharp. And dietary supplements are an interesting thing. So we maintain our current level of health. Uh, that's maybe our desire, but uh, maybe we want to maintain our, our current lifestyle. Uh, maybe we're taking it because we're, we want to improve a, a weaker portion of our health due to a particular condition that we have. Or maybe we take supplements in order to lead a productive life for our family and loved ones. We want to be around for them. We have an obligation to be here for them as long as we possibly can. Or maybe it's in order we take some supplement in order to gain strength or improve our, our, our beauty. Uh, we want to be just a little bit more attractive than we currently are. We want to maintain our attractive edge. Uh, supplements are interesting. Well, it's it's also quite interesting that there are supplements in the Christian life. And I don't want to trivialize that. But I'm making an argument. I'm not trivializing. I'm making an argument. We, we all take certain things in order to maintain our edge or to help ourselves and or prolong our days in, in as much as it's within our uh, our capability to do so, uh, in order to make a weaker portion of our body stronger. If we place that much importance on taking these things, carefully studying to make sure we take the right kind that our bodies can absorb, carefully taking of the right combination, examining how each of them interacts one with another, examining carefully and making sure online that we've researched. If we do all of that 
and we neglect the supplements of the Christian life that Peter outlines here for us, there's something wrong in our priorities. If we make all this effort to make sure we supplement our diets carefully, maybe you're not taking any supplements at all, but you're making sure that your diet regularly involves green leafy vegetables, don't you? And you're careful about the saturated fats or unsaturated fats that you take in. You're very careful to make sure that you eat the right fats and that you that you stay away from those fats that would affect you a little bit more negatively. We all make lifestyle choices. And Peter's argument here this morning in this text is, look, if you're a Christian, it's very, very important that you understand that you are in need of supplementing your faith. In fact, God has saved you. He's poured his grace into your life. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Well, that same blood that purchased your redemption is the blood that also purchased your holiness. God's intention is not just that he would save you, but that he would make you like his son. Thus, that you would experience the blessing of God, the divine blessing and the fulfillment of his extraordinary and magnificent promises, but also that you would see Christ magnified in your life. And so, my dear friends, there is there is no place for complacency in the Christian life. You are not yet today what God intends for you to be in the future. And so, in order to reach that goal of God's intention for your life, you need to take on these supplements to supplement your faith. To supplement your life. And so we come first to the first point of this passage. The supplements of the Christian life. For this very reason, Peter says, which tells us, well, there's an argument to be drawn from the previous verses. Yes, verses 3 and 4. This is what he said there. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, there's nothing God has held back as it relates to your life, living out the Christian life, and and walking in a pattern of godliness. God has filled the table for you. He has not left anything off of it. All the delicacies of His grace are there before you. All you have to do, having been saved and redeemed, the grace of God operative in your life is is to take and eat. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That you may become partakers of the divine nature that you might become like Christ in all of his extraordinary perfection and virtue. In his, Peter uses the word, excellence. It's not that we can reach the same state of of sinlessness as Christ, who is is the eternal God, uh, did and does, or always has been, but rather that we can participate in it. The power of Christ Christ can be at work in us. That his excellence can be burnished and increasing and growing in each and every one of us. Yes. So for this very reason, because of his divine power, because of his precious and very great promises, in order that we might partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire... Because of God's divine activity, therefore you too fully engage in living in all that God's divine power and promises have have provided. You know, it's 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 kind of like a rich child. It's raised in an extraordinary home, a home with a bowling alley down in the cellar, a. a Various pools in the backyard, even interior pools, inside pools that are warmed during the winter, uh, where there are butlers and maids and and there are extraordinary uh, uh, theaters and rooms and rooms and rooms of activities 
of privilege, of blessing, of all sorts of manner and use and and performance, and it's all there. But but you're so used to it all, or you're so ignorant of it all, that in fact this rich child simply sits in his bedroom or her bedroom and does nothing all day. We are Christians, and God has brought us into his household. And there is untold riches at our disposal because of Christ's redemption of us from our sins. And Peter is saying, look, it's all there before you. And for that very reason, supplement. In other words, make use of all that God provides. Engage in these activities. Now, some of us this morning are struggling with assurance. I'm uncertain as to whether or not I'm a child of God. I struggle knowing whether or not I'm truly saved. I, I, I examine my faith, but I'm not absolutely certain. Peter's going to answer that question very, very clearly this morning in this text. He will make it abundantly plain for each of us if we would simply make use of listening to the counsel of this scripture there are two ideas that he gives that, that, that are not in conflict. There might be in seeming conflict, but they're not. There is divine, powerful activity uh, recorded in verses 3 and 4. But then in verse 5, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply these other things. divine powerful activity with the expectation and the call that the believer will make every effort. Make every effort. It's like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Do you see divine activity and human activity, both in lockstep together. Now, as it relates to our salvation, as it relates to our justification, that alone is a work of God's grace that is of grace alone, that we have no participation in whatsoever. But as it regards walking in that salvation, having been saved, as it regards sanctification, as it regards the Christian life, yes, God says, I'm at work in you, working out my pleasure in you, carrying out my will for you, but you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling because, and for this very reason, I'm at work in you. There's no conflict. God is at work, but he also expects you and me, all of us, to work too. What if we were offered a supplement that was attached to a promise? What if someone held out something and said, look, If you'll partake of this, and you take one every single day, you eat this pill as big as this hymnal, you'll live forever. Wouldn't you take it? I'd find a way to get that down my throat. To cut it up in pieces, do whatever I had to do. And people have done that for many, 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 many years. They would hold up the snake oil and say, look, if you take this, it's going to cure everything from typhoid to, 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 you know, they'd list them all. Typhoid and hydrophobia and toothaches and bone aches and longevity of life, you name it. Well, Peter is offering, he's saying, look, if you take these supplements, if you, if you participate, if you supplement your faith with these things, and we'll approach this a little more deeply later, but if you do this, he says, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So that's a pretty substantial promise attached to these commands. So he tells us to take up these supplements, to supplement our faith with these things. So we believe in Christ. We have trusted in the fundamental aspects of, of Christ and his work and what that means. So now what? Well, we also have to supplement all of this with with faith. And that's the first word he uses. It's that first personal exercise of, of trust in God unto salvation. Christian virtues will never follow without first faith. There are sometimes people who 
seem to 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 exemplify a, a godly character, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sorry, those virtues are not godly without faith. They're there, but they're they're not they're not there for God's purposes. They're not there because they found they've taken root in God and in and in Christ Jesus. Faith starts the strength. Faith is where it all comes from. We must first believe. And without the first trusting activity of genuine faith, none of the rest of this will actually follow. It may appear to be, but it will not be. So faith. Fundamentally trusting in Jesus Christ. Trusting in God our Savior to save us and renew us according to his grace. The second is virtue, and this simply means excellence. It's the same word that's used in verse 3 to describe Christ. It's a call to be like him, to be like Christ, to be like Christ Jesus. So that means that we have to study carefully. So like we watched the Internet and, and we Google deeply over our supplements that we take and we want to see how our bodies will interact with them, what we need to take, what's the best way, what's the best absorption rate, all the rest of that. Well, you need to open your Bible and learn about Christ. We need to open up the Bible and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We need to read the eyewitness accounts. We need to read from the epistles exactly what the apostles who knew Christ, who saw him face to face, what they say about him. We need to look at the Old Testament promises and, and, and to hear what the prophets said about what we can expect of Christ, who he would be, and see him in the pages of the Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah 42 and 49 and 53 and the Messianic Psalms. And even there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, virtue, excellence, knowledge is the third one in this list of eight. It's simply wisdom or discernment. It's it's not just knowledge about Christ, which was referenced earlier in verses 1 through 4, uh, knowledge of Christ, of God, and of his word. But this is a different word. This simply means that that, that ability to think through uh, daily decisions and to come to a, 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 a careful decision. Uh, it means uh, simply... Uh, discernment, uh, discerning the right way, discerning how to live. It's it's doing the right thing based upon all the criteria that's before us. Self-control is another. It's related to, to the previous. The Christian, the Christian is not pulled in by... Uh, the Christian makes good, uncanny decisions, uh, godly decisions about dis- things that are before them. And the reason why is because we're not pulled by instinct and passion and lustful spontaneity we're not so susceptible to every lust that blows around that that every call of the world to come and be like the world we are controlled we are mastered by the glory of christ jesus the christian is constrained against our sins because of our relationship with jesus christ how can we possibly be self-controlled because we have experienced jesus because we have seen by our mind's eye, by faith, Jesus, in all of his glorious excellence. How can we possibly be delivered from our lusts for this world and all that the world suggests we have a right to and all the pleasures of the mind and of the flesh? Because we've seen Jesus and there's nothing better. There's no one more glorious. There's no one more lovely, no more extraordinary, more beloved of our soul. We are mastered by the glory of the Savior. We are constrained against sin because of our relationship with him. He is our Lord and our Savior. I was listening to an account from someone who shared how they were converted and turned to Christ. Uh, I was recently listening this last week, and this person said, well, at, at 17 I was... I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I did not yet believe in Him as Lord. I'm sorry, but 
Either you had completely and fully believed in Christ as Lord and Savior, or you had not yet believed. And later on, when you experienced something different, then you did believe in him as Lord and Savior. There is no dichotomy. There is no one or the other. There's no biblical argument for either or. Christ is Savior and Lord. From the moment of of the birth of your faith. You've accepted him as Jesus Christ, the Savior of his soul. And you've also acknowledged he is Lord and Savior, eternal Son of God. Can't get one without the other. There is no division. Either Christ is your Savior and Lord or he is neither. If he is Lord, we have eyes to see him by faith. We are not free. We are not free to do what we would wish to do. We are not free to pursue our own desires. We are not free to follow our own instinctual lusts. We are to be self-controlled. And make no mistake, the Apostle Peter, speaking for Jesus Christ, is saying to every Christian to whom he is writing, and to you and me today, the Christian, any, if you would be a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, this must be an increasing virtue as a supplement to your faith, even this day. Now, we may struggle with sin. We may struggle with sin, and we will, we do. We may see a... Seasons in which we struggle immensely and fiercely against our sins and yet yield on occasion and perhaps even yield for a great many days. But one way or the other, there is an increasing victory that the believer must have. If we are in Christ, if Christ is at work in us, surely there is an increasing, an increasing effectiveness of these virtues in the believer. That's the word that Paul, Peter uses. Increasing. If these are yours and increasing, you will never stumble. Well, self-control, he passes from self-control to steadfastness. And what is that except simply continuing with Christ and our profession when we experience pain or difficulty? coping with the unexpected turns of life. He passes from steadfastness to godliness. It's a sobriety and a, and a reverence flowing out of a Christian who knows that we are always in the presence of God. We are always living life quorum Deo, as, as, as R.C. Sproul loved to say. We live quorum Deo, before the face of God, in the presence of God. Every single moment of our life is before the face of God. Doesn't that make it just a little bit more difficult to engage fully in the sin that we find so easy to engage in? Doesn't that help us just a little bit more to engage fully in supplementing faith with these virtues? Godliness. Godliness comes from an understanding that God is before me, I am before his face, he walks with me, and he talks with me along life's narrow way, he lives, but also he sees, he is my God, he is my Lord, and he is my Savior, therefore I must live life carefully in a godly way, because he observes my character, and I desire Christ to be glorified in my behavior. I think this is one of the most important recognitions in the Christian life. One of the most important things that will ultimately give you a greater sense of assurance in your Christian life. If you come to this one recognition and you'll remind yourself of it continually, I live every moment before the face of God. The eternal God walks with me throughout every moment of every single day. He sees me at home. He sees me at work. He sees me alone. He sees me with other people and in groups. He sees me. 
He sees everything. And out of that recognition, that should have some some impact on our behavior as Christians, should it not? To live carum Deo, before the face of God. God sees it all. He moves from godliness to brotherly affection. He uses a word, Philadelphian. It's it's familial love. It's brotherly love. It's, it's the love that John chapter 13, verse 34 says, Love one another as I have loved you. And then lastly, he uses the word love. And that word is agape. It's, it's that, that special love. It's God's unique love for his own. It's exactly what Peter said in chapter 2, verse 2 of 1 Peter. Love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. So if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then then you know these virtues. It's nothing less than the observed character of Christ. And that should be our pursuit. He should be our pursuit. Not simply some identity or some achievement that we want to achieve, like we would set goals for ourselves in our occupations. Or we would say, I'd like to hold a future office of VP in my company. Or I'd like to be the manager. Not, not, it's not like that at all. Rather, we are pursuing not a title, but a person. We are pursuing Jesus. I want to be like Jesus because I want more of Jesus in me. I want more of Christ and his excellence evident in my life. I want less of the world. And less of myself, less of others' recognition of me, and more recognition of Jesus Christ in me. I want God to be glorified in my life, in my conduct, in my thoughts. A mantra should be, "I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. You've heard the slogan, I I, want to be like Mike, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has achieved wonderful things on a basketball court. I used to love to watch him when I was a younger man, but now that he's off the basketball court, what kind of a man is he? He's divorced. He doesn't have too much interaction with his kids. They, They kind of fear him, but they don't know him very well as their dad. He gambles a lot. Michael's all about Michael. Michael's a vain man who has no need for Christ because he is beguiled by his riches, his fame, his recognition, and himself. He has failed to recognize that the gifts that that man has is from God. I loved watching him. And yet he's not part of the kingdom of God because he has no interest whatsoever in being like Jesus. But one day there'll come a day when he will, he will wish that he was like Christ, that Christ was, was his Savior. I can promise you that people have told him about Jesus. I can promise you that there have been people in his life who have talked to him about the gospel. Other Christians who are on the court too, whose conduct he has observed. Perhaps his mother, his grandmother, parts of his family, his father perhaps, have shared and shown the gospel to him. Maybe he went to church when he was a younger man. Maybe there was a chaplain at UNC where he went to college. One way or the other, he came, he crossed paths with the gospel. And he has chosen what he has chosen. Don't be like Mike, be like Jesus. You young people, be like Jesus. Pursue Jesus. There's no more excellent human being on the, or pardon me, there's no more excellent being on the, who has walked upon the face of this earth than Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus is a divine being. He has two natures, human nature and a divine nature, but he is one being. He is the eternal Son of God. If we, know Christ, then 
If we have been shown Christ, we will want to be like Christ. It's not a list of virtues here to somehow that that will, if we practice them, they will lead us to regeneration. Peter's writing to people. He has identified who they are. They are believing people. They are trusting people. They are Christians. They are Christians who are trusting in Jesus Christ. They are Christians who have believed. They are Christians who are elect exiles in their country. They feel themselves cut off, uh, isolated, and they are far from the center of the church in Jerusalem or Antioch. He's writing to Christians. He's speaking to Christians. So he's not talking to unbelievers and, and, and pagan persons. And he's saying, look, if you'll supplement yourself with all of these things, you will in fact be regenerated. No, he's speaking to regenerated, justified Christians. And he's saying, supplement, supplement your faith with these things. He said it back in verse 3 and 4, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You've already been called. These people have already been called by God's grace into this marvelous standing in which they stand. They are believers. So it's not a list of virtues that will lead to regeneration. No, they are a list of virtues that will flow from their regeneration. We're saved by grace through faith alone, not of works. But the faith that saves is never alone. It bears fruit. It it transforms. It redeems. It regenerates. It creates new life. Genuine faith results in your full participation in the Christian life and in these virtues. We need to take notice. Everything you need is right here. Everything you need from God to live for him in this world It's right here. Everything that you need to live the Christian life, it's all right here. Years ago, I remember a young woman saying to me, with an honest face, I I am awaiting one day when God enables the church to find that one book intended for women in the deep sands of the Middle East or in the Qumran caves. She was implying in that statement that she feels that the entirety of the word of God is really not for her. I do not understand that. That is a a spurious and evil statement. I think it's misinformed and foolish. I don't think she meant it for evil, but, but that is an evil statement that essentially says, I find that everything that the Old and New Testament says about Jesus Christ is not really relevant to me as a woman. I hope the women in this congregation do not feel that way. I don't believe you do. And here is first is second Peter chapter one. Peter is saying, look, everything necessary. And he doesn't delineate between men and women. He simply says, all of you, everything necessary for the Christian life has been supplied to you by God's divine power. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything. If you're not finding the word of God relevant to you in your particular gender or station in life. You're not applying the word of God. You're not reading the word. You're neglecting the word. You're not, you're not a studier or one like Psalm 119 who meditates over the word of God day and night. If you were, you would find the word is effectual, living, breathing. It's encouraging. It provides reproof and correction, training and righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That is the statement of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. That's speaking about the entire word, all the word, every single word. We're so easily caught in schemes to seek an easier, more emotion-filled way, uh, more, rather than dogged, faithful immersion in the word of God. We want something so much easier, but... This text clarifies that when we find the Christian life disappointing or deficient 
or unfulfilling, the problem is with our neglect of the word of God. So, dear friends, accept the challenge from Peter this morning. Make use of what you have. Don't fall into the trap that somehow you begin to think you'd be embittered against God because you feel that he's let you down and he hasn't, he hasn't fulfilled and completed everything necessary for your godly living in this world. He has granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The second portion of this passage is we have already seen the the supplements of the Christian life, but secondly, we see the effectiveness of practicing these supplementary qualities. The effectiveness of practicing these supplementary qualities. Ineffectiveness is negated. That's what he says. If these qualities are yours, in verse 8, are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be ineffective. Maybe some of us worry about whether or not we've actually done enough for the Lord. I was sent a clip earlier this morning from a beloved friend, and in it uh, there's a clip from this movie of Schindler's List. And Mr. Schindler is at the end of the movie. He's got to go to the American lines, and <clears throat> he's, he's distraught because he says, I could have done more. I could have done more. Maybe you're thinking that way. You're saying, I, I, I should do more. I, I could have done more. I, I need to do more for the Lord Jesus. The day of judgment is approaching and I need to serve him with all my being. I commend you for that. And that deep concern to serve the Lord and be of, found of use for him. But, but let me comfort you in some way with this. You will not be ineffective. Your life will not be ineffective because God in his extraordinary resources are already at work in you. His divine power granting to you everything is also diligently at work in your life. So you will not be useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our God. If you're practicing these things and every Christian, dear friend, to some degree is practicing these things. God forbid that I should lift up some incredible bar above you and say this is what you have to be in order to truly be a believer. No, the word here is simply Peter is encouraging Christians who struggle in all sorts of ways, very much like you and me, and he's saying, look, pursue these things. And inasmuch as you pursue them and you're increasing in them little by little, day by day, modicum by modicum, you will not be ineffective you will not have an ineffective life. In other words, God will accomplish in you that which is pleasing in his sight. You will not be ineffective. Christine and I can look back at our children. We've raised six kids, and we can see that there were days when we were ineffective, or or maybe not ineffective, but when we... We're less than what we ought to have been as parents. Days when we might have failed, when we were a little more, when we were more angry or irritable than others. Days when we fell short of what we knew we ought to be as a parent. And yet we are deeply comforted by this very passage this morning. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffectiveness is negated. We will be effective in the Christian life. Secondly, in this passage, under this second heading, your knowledge of the the effectiveness of practicing these supplementary qualities is ineffectiveness is negated. But also, secondly, your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ will not be unfruitful. If you're practicing these things, if you're growing and increasing in these virtues, your knowledge of Christ will not be ineffectual. In other words, you'll never reach the throne room of Christ at the end of your life. And he will say, you failed to steward and properly carry out what I called you to do. No, if you're doing these things and increasing in them, you desire them, you're asking God for them, you're walking in them, 
Your knowledge of the Lord will not be unfruitful. There is another position that's taken as he relates what someone looks like who does not engage with these qualities. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. There's something anemic about a, a professing Christian who seems more conformed to the world and its virtues and behaviors than transformed by the virtues of Christ. Did you get that? There's something anemic about the li- and disturbing about the life of a professing Christian who is more conformed to the world than transformed by the image of Christ. We'd say three things about such a person. Either they are not, despite what they say, a Christian. They are what John 2.11 says, because the darkness has blinded him, and therefore they are blind. They have forgotten. The very act of forgetting is in itself an example of an aborted memory of Christ's love and of his grace. They might have even been baptized in the back of a baptismal, which I saw this morning when I first came into the church and lowered the screen. But they've forgotten what at first seemed to make sense to them, and and it compelled them, and they loved it, and there seemed to spring up a spiritual life, but it disappeared. You see, because there was an excitement, but there was no life. We would say that about such a person. That's what Peter says. He who lacks these qualities. And of course, he moves away from you, the personal plural pronoun, you, which is what he's been using so far. And in verse 9, he says, or or 8 and 9, or pardon me, 9, he who lacks these qualities, he uses an impersonal third person pronoun now. He's got a different voice. He's not accusing Christians. He's not saying, you believers, this is what's going to happen to you. No, he's saying there are other persons that we might observe briefly in the church. And they are not supplementing their faith at all with any of these virtues. The implication is they've never seen Christ. They never really believed. So I told you we would say three, three things about that person. They're not, what they, despite what they say, a Christian. Or two, they're a Christian, but they're immature. They're not growing. They're regressing. Perhaps even having lost their first love. They, they're in need of restoration and renewal in God's grace. They've come to this understanding of themselves, but what will they do next? Will they pursue these qualities, these virtues? Will they supplement their faith with these things? Perhaps they're the the person of 1 John 2.19. John says, well, they departed because they were never of us. Or three, there's another possibility. They're Christians who are ineffectual. They're unconcerned about their spiritual malaise. They're giving only lip service to God's commands. They're not willing to really make the sacrifice to live a Christ-honoring life or to progress to maturity. They've consciously shut their eyes to the calling of God to be a disciple of Christ. And they don't want it because it's a difficult life. And it means sacrifice. It means I have to love that person in the pew next to me, truly. Not just put up with them and tolerate them, but I have to genuinely love them from my heart. It means all my old sins and idol-worshipping pursuits of pleasure have to come to an increasing end. It means now my identity is in Christ Jesus and not in something else. But I have to suspend all those idols of identity. Listen to our culture. Everyone is identifying themselves in some way and it's extraordinary. There are, there are countless ways in which we can identify ourselves as human beings, whether sexually or racially or, or whatever it may be. Jesus comes and says, you identify yourself in me. That's your supreme identity as a Christian, as a child of God. 
Is there such a thing, though, where the knowledge of Jesus Christ is ineffective and unfruitful? Where the knowledge, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ is unaccompanied by his virtues? Where unchristlikeness is exhibited in the life of a true believer? Well, not perpetually, no. If we truly belong to Christ, there will be an exhibit of his grace in us. Because he is at work in us to do his good will. And he calls us, therefore, out of that same sentence, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to make certain, to apply all diligence in our, fa- in, in, in our faith, supplying moral excellence and so on through that string. A spiritually blind person cannot see Christ. He cannot see Christ in his day-to-day activities. He cannot see Christ in all of his various responsibilities. He doesn't see Christ in the face of his children. He doesn't see Christ in the face of his wife. He doesn't see Christ in the face of his friends. He does not see Christ in the face of his co-workers. He does not see Christ in the intimate details of his life. And so he doesn't live for Christ in those intimate details. He doesn't hear the call of Christ to come and be transformed. Doesn't respond to the word of God to labor, to press for faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and agape love. Dear friend, if you are a child of God, if you do believe in Jesus Christ, if you have seen him in all of his excellence, then You must pursue these things. Because these things are embodied in Him. They are personified in Him. They wouldn't exist in this world were it not for God. We only know these virtues because we know Him. They only come to us through Him. And if we know Him fully, truly, sincerely, savingly, and faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. These are things we are increasing in day by day. It doesn't mean you've reached the, the hundredth level and you've somehow become a, a master. No, it just means that you are on a pathway. You are progressing. You are learning. You are increasing day by day. Because you are pursuing things. You are pursuing Jesus Christ. Now Peter is not teaching a works-based righteousness. A works-generated regeneration. He's agreeing precisely with what Paul says in Titus 3. Where Paul says, We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And then in the very... Two verses down, he says this. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. You see, belief leads to a life of fruitfulness. Belief in Christ leads to a life of principled pursuit of Christ and his excellence. There's no contradiction. God calls. He equips And he requires a thoughtful, lifelong response and practice of discipleship. Thirdly and finally and briefly, the promise given if we partake of these virtues. Dear friends, be more diligent to make your calling and election sure. That's what Peter tells us. As a practical use of these supplements to faith, it will keep us from falling away from the faith. And it will keep us from falling into the grave pattern of ineffectiveness that we've been warned about already. You want to lead an effective life, one that is God-pleasing, pursue these virtues. And behind them, pursue the one whom they image, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if you do entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will enter into this in a rich and extraordinary way. This is what he says. In this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Some of us think, well, I'm going to slink in through the side door. As long as I get in there, that's all that matters. But Peter says, no, that's, that's lesser than what God intends for you. If you truly know Jesus Christ and you've truly seen him with the eyes of faith, then you will pursue his excellence. And as you do so, you will arrive in heaven triumphant. You will not slink in. God's triumph will be observed in the course and conduct of your life. You will not approach scared to death that you may and may not be justified. You will approach the throne of grace personally, body united with soul, resurrected unto everlasting life, triumphant life in Christ. You will enter the kingdom of God not as a beggar, but in triumph. Because you didn't lead an unproductive life. Rather, your life was an abundant harvest of grace because of the divine power of God granting to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. And because you pursued what God held out, promised to you, put to work in your life. So press on to godliness. Because of God's divine power, His precious and very great promises, He has saved your soul. Now He expects you to respond to that saving work. And how can we be complacent in it? Dear friends, stop satisfying yourself with spiritual laziness, with apathy, with complacency. Don't be careless with your soul. Instead, doggedly pursue assurance. And perhaps you, you're you not a believer this morning. Maybe you're named amongst those persons who are, who are in fact blind or short-sighted. And you maybe even went through a spiritual brief transformation of some kind, but you've forgotten who you were. There is always grace with the Lord Jesus Christ. He can renew and restore, reform you, revive you, convert your unbelieving heart and save you from your sins. And the same blood that will wash over your soul and cleanse away your sins is the same blood that has purchased your holiness too. Come and be holy in Christ Jesus. Come and see his virtues and pursue them with all your heart and soul and mind and strength because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Let's pray.